I want to say to all of the fathers, happy Father's Day, guys. May you get the most you can out of this day. <laughs> you will, uh, you get a, a get out of jail free card today. So, <laughs> so I just, you know, enjoy your day. I, I honor, especially in a, in a season and in a culture like ours, yes, yes. honor the men. Yes. Honor those who are fathers. Uh, you will be called upon more and more in the days and weeks and months and years ahead because you are needed, Amen. sorely needed. And so I praise God for all of you. I want to say thank you to you, New Song Church, for being so gracious and kind to Lawanda and I over these months. Um, we, we feel a deep love and affection for you. And uh, uh, this is, I, I often speak about joints. Uh, joints are connections, they're relationships. This is a joint for us. There is a kinship that we hold and feel with you all. Uh, we've been with you all in terms of friends from the very beginning. And so God has honored us to be able to to uh, stand with you in, in your journey. And we're grateful to you for the kindness that you have extended to us. Um, when we started, I think the very first time that we were here was back in February or March. Um, uh, in, in your... Uh, in your quest, in your search, and I want to say again, congratulations on your, on your new pastor. We have such deep regard and respect for him and look forward to all that, that lies ahead for you and for him uh, and for this city. So, so we're grateful. But when we started some months ago, I, I think I mentioned the fact that this is a journey that we're all on. I, I brought up the fact that three times... In, in the Gospels, you see, you must be born again. But 84 times, you see, follow me. And it's that notion of following that implies a journey. Uh, and so that is indeed what this has been and continues to be. This is a journey where we are all following Jesus into greater purpose. Uh, we want to talk about uh, about that as, as, as we go. Um, but as uh, in recent months we, we were in Colossians, I want to go back there this morning. I want to finish up what did not start out to be a journey, but has really become that. But reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, says, For he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness, or he the Father rescued us, I'm sorry, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together." Verse 18, he is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile 
all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that in your wisdom, you have, in rescuing us, sent your son to redeem all things, Lord, and to reconcile all things to yourself so that all that he has done is perfect in every way that we can be restored, redeemed, reconciled to you, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into your precious and blessed kingdom. And so, Lord, as we look to you this morning, I thank you that you have given us access to your presence in worship. Lord, may we open our ears and our hearts and our minds. May they be open to hear and to receive your word. I ask that you would give us ears to hear that which you are saying, that our eyes would perceive that which you are doing, and that our hearts would be filled with understanding so that we can respond appropriately to you. And so, Lord, we lean in this day to hear from you. I ask, Father, that you would help me, that as I would proclaim your word, I might be faithful as your servant. Lord, that I might not only proclaim your word, but that I might be accurate to convey your heart as well. So that in both the the hearing and in the declaring of your word, you would be honored. Father, to the end, that in all of this, you might be glorified and your kingdom extended. For we consecrate this time to you now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. I've, I've chosen to... Um, entitled my remarks today, The Father's Good Pleasure. Now, our journey up until now uh, largely has been found here in Colossians. And just by quick review, when we first came, we talked about uh, 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 following Jesus and the need to do that because this is a journey. We then went on to, to speak of hearing from God and, you know, the notion of rhemas that those important things, faith comes by hearing that that is a rhema, it's a word from God. And then for several of our, our visits, we talked about living for the king and his kingdom. Uh, looking here in Colossians chapter one, we, we, uh, we enumerated four of seven essential perspectives that we need to operate in living for Jesus and his kingdom, that that really is the priority from God. But we we talked about the fact of understanding who he is, number one. Number two, we talked about understanding whose you are. We then went on to talk about the, the third aspect of that, who you are. And then the last time that we were here, we talked about what you are as it related to purpose. So today I want to... to Finish three aspects of that in completing this journey because your journey is about to get started again. One of the, one of the marvelous things about Israel, uh, when they came out of the land is that remember how they were led by the cloud? There was the pillar of cloud in the day and the pillar of fire at night and they only moved when the cloud moved. Uh, and so if the cloud stayed in a place for a day, that's where they stayed for a day. If it was there for six months, that's where they were. They only moved. And so there's this notion of always the forward progress toward God's stated end. And so you have been in a season of encouragement and preparation. And as such, there is movement that is beginning. Now, in every journey and in any journey, there's always an end point. There's always a destination. Uh, I'd mentioned in the earlier meeting, Lawanda is from a family out in St. Louis. And so every time that we go to St. Louis, 
um, we, we plot our course. We know that we need to go south on 71 to Columbus, and then we hit 70 going west from Columbus right on into St. Louis. And so that's always, it's an easy drive, but it would be an impossible drive if we weren't oriented toward north, south, east, and west. If we didn't have a sense of bearings, we would be in trouble. And the most important one that we need to understand is north. Because everything else is in relation to that. And so these these uh, uh, weeks and months that we have been through really have been an attempt uh, on my part to get us in terms of our bearings, finding true north. And that has been found in Jesus himself. Any and everything that you go through, I don't care how simple or how complex it is, you're always going to be tasked to discover, Lord, where is true north? Where are you in all of this? So that we can then get our bearings and know to how to go forward. And so in this, I want to take a look in verse 17 of uh, Colossians 1. Uh, it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The point of reference is him. And, and more specifically, in this particular case, it's the Father. If you recall the thing that Jesus says about uh, about the Father, what he says is this. He says that uh, no one comes to the Father except through him. From Jesus' vantage point, the real issue was to go to the Father. We're restored in fellowship to the Father. And so it's the Father who uh, who is critical for us to orient our lives around it. And I'll make mention of, of one significant aspect of that in a moment. But when you take a look at Jesus himself and his ministry, you know what got him in trouble? What got Jesus in trouble was the fact that he dared to call God Father. Now, to any Hebrew, given the commandments, you never would take God's name in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember, that's one of the commandments. And so to a Hebrew, even to speak God's name would be tantamount to taking it in vain, given that we are sinful creatures. And so what Jews did was to revert to titles. And we know many of the titles, you know, uh, Elohim and Adonai and so on and so forth. But it was the titles because you didn't want to take God's name in vain. And yet now, here comes Jesus, not only... Would he dare to speak God's name? But then what he does is to say that he is his son. How dare he? That's where the religious establishment was so upset with him. I mean, that really was the reason that he was in such trouble with them, is that he would profane God by calling himself his son. And so there's this notion of his relationship with the Father that really becomes the key issue for his life and ministry and for ours as well. If you remember when Jesus was baptized, do you remember what, what, what happened? John takes him down in the waters, he comes up, and then there is this pronouncement in two of the three Gospels, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark and in Luke, the voice that comes from heaven actually says this, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's only in Matthew that, that you read, this is my beloved son. But the other two times in Mark and in Luke, the father says to Jesus, you are my beloved son. And the issue is in whom I am well pleased. That's significant because pleasing the father becomes the ultimate issue. 
It is the ultimate issue. Why did Jesus do for you what he did? Why did he die for you? Why did he suffer for you? Why did he do any and all of those things? Well, he loved us. Yeah, for God so loved the world. We understand that. But you know the real reason that he did this was that it was pleasing to his father. Jesus says, I do always, in John 8, 29, I do always the things that are pleasing to my father. So the notion of the father being pleased is, is the ultimate issue for Jesus in terms of motivating. And so in verse 17, it says that, that the point of reference, he is before all things and in things, in him all things hold together. It's this notion that, father, this is about you and my motivation is I want to please you. It's not to do right or wrong things. It's I want to please you. So that for Jesus, the issue is pleasing the Father. For us, the issue is pleasing the Father. Now, just so that you understand how important that is, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, how did he teach us to pray? Luke 11, verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Do you know that that word there, Father, is Abba? The sister who talked about Papa. I, I love that word. I've got uh, six grandchildren now. They seem to happen real fast. Once they got started, they just kind of came one right behind the other. But before they were born, uh, Lawanda and I, we, we talked about, what do you want the grandkids to call you? Um, uh, and Lawanda was, Lawanda is, is really wise. She said, it doesn't matter what you want them to call you. Because whatever they start with, that's what they're going to call you. Uh, uh, <laughs> her her grandmother, she's got one whose name is Edgar. Good southern name uh, for her grandma, Edgar, who is from Mississippi. And her oldest sister, who was the very first of the grandchildren, uh, couldn't say Edgar. So she called her Eku. Eku. Now there are 23 grandchildren. And guess what they all called her? Eku. Whatever they, whatever they get is what, so Luanda was Gigi, but I wanted to be called Papa. I just, there was something about the sound of that, Papa. It was, my, my mom called her dad Papa. And all of, all of uh, uh, her generation, they called their dad Papa. And I thought there was just something about that. But, but, but when Jesus says, when you pray, pray in this way, Father, hallowed be your name. That word there is an, it's an endearing name. It is Daddy. It's Papa, if you will. Now the thing with, with the Hebrews is that it wasn't just limited to the children or to the young ones. It was what all would refer to in terms of their fathers. It's, it's, it's Abba. And so when Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. Uh, Father, hallowed be your name. In Romans, it talks about uh, receiving the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4, it says that God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. When I was here the last time, we talked about uh, um, the, the, the pronouncements, you know, my life's not my own, I live for one reason only, and so on. But I, on several of occasions, I talked about how important it was for us to see ourselves as servants. We talked about bond slaves and so on. But in Galatians 4, it actually says that there's something beyond 
being servants. It says, but if uh, you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You are sons. He is father. He is Abba. And that is significant. Why? Because what is my motivation toward Abba? Jesus says, I do always the things that are pleasing to my father. One of the problems with religion is that religion wants to make your motivation to be right. It's no more than self-righteousness. But for us, the motivation isn't to be right or wrong because we have no righteousness of our own. You understand that. The motivation for us in the faith is, I just simply want to do the things that are pleasing to my father. Huh. Why do I not lie? Because it doesn't please my father. And so the notion of pleasing the father becomes the preeminent motivation. And so why are we? Why are you here? Because it pleased the father. What is your life to be about? Pleasing the Father. Let me give you a definition of ministry. Ministry is not a lot of religious activity. Ministry is simply fulfilling the desire of God's heart. Write that down. Ministry is fulfilling the desire of God's heart. Now that presupposes that you know what the desire of God's heart is. Here's what tends to take place. If my desire is to please my father, to do what's in his heart, then I have to draw near so that I can know him to know what pleases his heart. The default to that is you'll just simply fill your life with a lot of religious activity. And it may or may not please the father. So it's a matter of pleasing the father. Remember when um, Israel's in the wilderness, they're complaining to Moses because they're thirsty and and so he goes to the father and what does the father tell him to do they want a drink what does he say strike the rock and so Moses strikes the rock water, water comes out you would think that would be the only time that you would see that story but it shows up a second time the second time that it shows up he looks to the father and what does the father tell him to do speak to the rock but guess what he didn't speak to the rock. He hit the rock. Ministry is fulfilling the desire of God's heart. Do you realize that that one act for Moses cut him off? Because Moses, you are to honor me. How do, I, how do you honor me? By putting me on display. By honoring that which is pleasing. And so God changed the direction. Moses missed the turn and it cut him off. God let him see it, didn't let him go in. Be careful. Let your motive always be, Father, I want to be pleasing to you. Now, in that, Jesus, his greatest priority was to please the Father. Ministry is fulfilling the desire of God's heart. And so the, the this reference point of God, you're before all things. You are the center of all things. Your ultimate issue, what ultimately pleases you, is to manifest your fullness. I'll come back to that in a little bit. And then to reconcile all things to himself. So God says, I see things a certain way. There are certain things that I understand. And so that becomes the reference point for you. What is the desire of my heart? Father, help me to know so that I can do those things. Now, you understand that God's perspective is different than yours and mine. 
It says in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that Jesus uh, uh, was seated at the Father's right hand, raised from the dead, seated at the Father's right hand. Do you realize that in Ephesians 2, it actually says that we are seated with him at the Father's right hand. How important is that? Because it's a much different perspective on things than the one that we have. Okay? You can see things much different way from above than you can see them from ground level. Um, a friend of mine, some years ago, we had a conversation about God's perspectives, and he talked about, he talked about upper stories, lower stories. And how in everything that goes on in your life and in mine, all of the details, there's an upper story, And there's a lower story. The one that we know, we know the lower story. We know the thing that we're confronting. We can tell you all of the details of good or bad, the things that we are encountering. encountering. But we don't understand and necessarily know the upper story. And that's the thing that we need to be more and more familiar with. Why? Because that will then tell me there's something bigger than the thing that I'm facing now. That helps me to gain uh, an understanding of why so that I can then cooperate with with God. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, you know, Paul writes about... Uh, um, uh, he says, he says, we, we speak a wisdom among those who are mature. And he talks about, um, God's wisdom that the w- rulers of this age didn't understand because he says, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The lower story said, we got Jesus now. Let's kill him. The lower story said, uh, concerning the apostles and the disciples, oh, he's gone. He's dead. This is all over. That's what the lower story said. But the upper story saw something entirely different. God said, I'm redeeming this. Had they understood the upper story, had the disciples understood, it would have been much different. If you take a look at the end of the Gospels, how how uh, uh, desperate were they that this was all coming to an end? You'd be surprised reading through the Gospels how many times Jesus was trying to tell them the upper story. This is what's going to happen to me. Be killed, buried, resurrected, and so on. And they never got it. They never got it the entire time. He was giving them a higher perspective. Even after he's crucified, even after he's raised from the dead. You realize that those that, that were sent back to tell him, uh, tell the disciples that he had risen, they still didn't believe it? Because we're so wedded to the lower story. But it's the upper story that becomes much more significant for us. Because that is the point of reference. How do I lay hold God of the thing that pleases you? When I understand what you're trying to do. So that if you're saying, Carlton, press in and press and press and press and press. Then I'll do that. But if you're saying, Carlton, yield. Then I'll do that. There are times when pressing doesn't please God, that yielding does. I think I mentioned before, Jesus died, crucifixion took days. There just was an article concerning some medical accounts regarding how he died. Crucifixion took days because you you asphyxiated. It was a matter of aspiration, just the way that you're hung. You you breathe from your diaphragm, and, and from that position, he couldn't breathe. You just can't breathe, and so you linger, and you linger, and so on. Normally, crucifixion took three days. Several days, Jesus was dead in hours. Why? Because he didn't fight the cross. He yielded to the cross. When you understand the why, it allows you to yield when the Father said, just be still and know that I'm God. 
Paul set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing all that lay ahead for him. And everybody tried to tell him, don't do it, Paul. Don't go. The whole, he had, he had more uh, spiritual things than most of us have when we make decisions. Because he had prophetic pictures. Remember the whole thing with the, with the bound hands? He had words from his friends. He had a word from the Lord that, that difficulty is going to be ahead from you. And rather than, rather than, Press against that, he yielded. Hadn't planned on reading this, but I just want to read this to you. This is in, in Acts 20. This was Paul's heart. This was understanding there's an upper story and the why. Um, it says in, in Acts uh, 20, 23, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testi- testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But, verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. What pleased the Father was for Paul not to avoid Jerusalem, but to go into Jerusalem knowing that it would ultimately cost him his life. So the why really is, is, is we are here to please God and we can't presume upon that. We need to understand that he sees this thing from a much different perspective. In Isaiah 46, the Lord identifies himself saying this, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. Verse 9, I am God and there is no one like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish, listen to this, all my good pleasure. So God sees the thing from a much different vantage point. He sees the from the he sees the end from the beginning. It's amazing in terms of how elevation really gives you a different vantage point. You get a much different picture of things. So so you've got this notion then that that God, you've got a view that's a significant view, and I need to understand that. Do you realize that God uh, is not just a God of history? He made history. He made history. He was the one that was orchestrating and working all of these things out, all of the details, knowing exactly where this was to end up, not only in your life and in mine, but in everybody's life. Seven and a half billion people on the planet. Now, I can't even start to get my head around that, but here is God who knows I want to accomplish this, and in this case, this case, this case, this is what I'm going to allow. This is what's going to take place. And it all will ultimately end in my fulfilling my purposes. You need that perspective. Let me give you a couple suggestions concerning attaining that, that notion of the why. Number one, and none of these are going to be deep or new. I'm just trying to remind you of what we already know. You want to avoid presumption and speculation. That is so easy for us to follow it fall into. God, I understand and I know. The thing to do, simply pray and ask God for wisdom and insight. You want to gain understanding. There are times that you just simply need to know, God, help me to see this thing the way that you see it. And if you find yourself in a place where you're not getting much of an answer, then you wait. 
Presumption says, let me move forward. Faith says, God, I'll wait until I hear. So you pray and you ask. The second thing in, in, in being able to apprehend the why and move forward is walk in humility. Humility is tantamount to being teachable. Do you realize that that is the biggest issue of humility? You ever talk to somebody and you try to tell them something and they look at you like, yeah, yeah, I know. And you know the minute that you get that, it's like they are shut down. They are not hearing anything that I'm saying. Why? Because I, I know that. I've already heard that. Yeah, I know. Let me tell you something. The posture that we need to take before God is, Lord, I'm completely open to you. Whatever you say, if I don't understand it, it doesn't matter. It's okay. It's okay. I'll tell you a real test for yourself. Take the thing that you hold most tightly and say, could I be wrong? Now, there's some things that we know we're not concerned in Scripture that we're not wrong about, but I I have held positions where I had to say, God... You know, I really could be wrong with this thing. And Lord, if I am, then I want to hear that. I want to entertain that. I want to be flexible and moldable to you. Helps us to get a hold of this issue of of, of, of why. Why? Because God, you see what I don't see. Your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So I need to change. Let me ask you a question. I didn't ask this in the, in, the, <laughs> in the first group, but I want to ask you. You don't have to answer it. I just want to put it out there because I'm feeling mischievous. Uh, how much must you change in order for you to be what God wants you to be? <laughs> Do you see why you don't want to be real rigid? Don't be surprised when all of a sudden you find, Lord, I wasn't counting on this. And understand, yeah, there's a whole lot of change in the, that has to be done in my life. So I'm real open. Whatever you want to say, God, I'm here to hear, even if it's against me. I believe in God being prophetic and, and, and speaking to people prophetically. You know, it's one of the gifts. But what do you do when you get a word and it's not for you? It's against you. Lord, help me to hear the word when it's corrective as much as I'm ready to hear the word when it's your encouragement. Okay. All right. That was just why. Verse 17 also is not just simply why are you, it's where are you. Now, this is actually kind of a, a... I want two perspectives here. It's kind of, uh, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Binocular. Uh, Two views. And in order to understand the two views, verses 17 and 18, I need to give you two definitions. Because with the issue of where, it speaks of two perspectives. Where talks about both position. If I say, where are you, then it's... You know, tell me about your position, but also if I say, where are you? What's the other thing I'm looking for? Your location. So there are two perspectives here that you need to have, position and location. Let me give you real quickly a couple definitions, and then, then we'll move on regarding this matter of where. Position is a specific point. It's a place where someone or something is in relation to other people or things. 
What position is this in? Well, it's sitting on the podium by my book. That's position, a specific point. It's a place where someone or something is in relation to other people or things. The second is location. Location is a particular point or place in physical space. It's used in geography to describe a specific point. Where are we? We're in Cleveland. We're in Cleveland Heights. Very specific place. Position has to do with relative relationships and connections. Location has to do with place. Both are important if we're going to continue this journey of living in the kingdom. Let me real quickly uh, give you a picture of both of those. The very first one as it relates to um, uh, position is this notion of where are we in relation to whom? First of all, in relation to Christ. Do you know that, that in him is referred to more than 216 times in the New Testament? Everything that happens in your life and mine, if you read through the New Testament, Paul's epistles in particular, all take place in Christ. Makes you wonder, if you're not in Christ, are these things available. The truth of the matter is they're not. Now, in Christ has to do with communion with him. It's unity with him. So when I'm in that place, then all other things are available to me. If any man is in Christ, he is a old things pass away, all things, new things come. But where does that take place? In Christ. Is there any passing away of old things outside of Christ? No. No. Are there any new things outside of Christ? No. Why? Because it's all in Christ. And so that's that's the challenge that, that we face is I have to be in Christ. Now Jesus says this. He says, I'm the true vine. You are the branches. This is what he actually says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does nothing mean? No thing. Is anything possible apart from Christ? No. He says that in, 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 in John 15. John 15, most of that chapter, or the first half of that chapter, is all about abiding where? In Christ. So outside of Christ, nothing's possible. Outside of Christ, there's nothing but, but judgment. Outside of Christ, there's futility. Outside of Christ, there's frustration. There is nothing possible outside of Christ. Tell you what, it really makes you want to get a hold of this notion of learning what abiding means. Because he says, apart from me, there's nothing that you can do. So so we are in Christ. Well, what does that mean? Number one, means to live in his presence. We have rhythms that are weekly rhythms. That's unfortunate because all of the rhythms in the scriptures are daily. They're 24-7. I die daily. If a man wants to come after me, he must deny himself daily. Okay? So you learn to live in his presence. Some years ago, there were several worship songs that were floating around that talked about uh, before an audience of one. Some of you have heard all of that. What does it mean to be before an audience of one? 
means I live my life with the understanding that, Lord, it is before you that I do everything. Does that include anything that is excluded from from an audience of one? Do you realize that even the idle words that you speak, you're called into account? Why? Because you're doing before an audience of one. And so it's a matter that, Lord, I, I need to understand it's before you that I live. Every thought, every word, every action. How many of you do really well with that show of hands? <laughs> I can't put mine up either. But our gracious God has extended to us grace and mercy and, 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 a, and a means of working that out by virtue of the Spirit of God, who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good place. There's good news. You can't do this. But in Christ... It's possible. Why? Because of the Spirit of God. And do you realize that Jesus says that the world cannot receive the Spirit of God? So outside of Christ, there is no hope. There is no Spirit of... You don't even know about the kingdom of God outside of Christ. So it's all in Christ. And so you've got this amazing ability that God gives us. So you conduct all the affairs by the grace that God gives. And you're aware that you're living moment by moment, day by day, in front of an audience of one. That's my, my understanding. Because of my position, you are my audience, Lord. So you live in his presence. You speak to him often during the day. How many of you have a quiet time in the morning or sometime during the day that, that you take your time with the Lord? Let me challenge you to take that and not make that exclusive, but to extend time through your whole day. You understand what real time is for those of you who do computers you understand real time? Real time means when? Right now. Right now. Real time needs to become a reality for us in terms of our connections with him. When am I praying? When I'm facing this thing. Now, I don't always have the nece- uh, necessarily the, the luxury of time for long and verbose and drawn out prayers, but sometimes just help becomes a thing. For God... Help me to see or help me to do it. Lord, I'm coming into this situation or Lord, she just got on my last nerve or whatever it is. I just need your help. Those are all ongoing prayers. We need to be continually in contact and in, and in communion with our Father. So, so we pray and speak to him often during the day and more importantly, we learn to listen. First thing is live in his presence. Second thing is speak, speak often to him and, and learn to listen. Third, it is important that you learn to recognize when he is present and when he is speaking. I don't know how to tell you how to do that, folks, except that you posture yourself in a way and say, Lord, help me to know when you are near. There are some times when it's very clear. I had a situation. I worked for a company years ago before I left Cleveland, and, and I used to make deliveries out in Aurora and I was in a car accident uh, fell asleep at the wheel and it, I mean it was a real mess the Lord allowed me to keep my job I was wrong and so on and so forth but I had a boss who great woman she didn't know the Lord I was not real new in the Lord but I remember talking with her one day and, and I was it was by phone it was somewhere on my way into uh, making a delivery and she corrected me And I got, 
And my rationale for not wanting to listen to her was, this is a woman. I mean, she can't have authority over men and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and, I, and I really, it was before I understood that there was a whole different perspective that God had on that. But I just wanted to get in a huff about this thing. And I didn't say it to her, but I thought, I don't need to listen to her. And, and the Lord spoke something to me. And it was very clear. He said, the fact that she is a woman is my issue. The fact that she is your boss is your issue. And I knew what I needed to do with that. Now, I wasn't at the most discerning place, but I knew enough of the presence of God to know, okay, God, that was just you. It wasn't in my favor, but you, but you want to learn to, to be sensitive to what is going on so that, Lord, are you in this moment? Are you in this circumstance? And can I gain a sense of what you're saying and doing? Let me tell you, I think that's a discipline. Our spirits are so trafficked with other things that the presence of God just gets pushed right out of the way. We need to at times quiet our spirits. As a matter of fact, we need to live that way. Okay, I'm, I'm, uh, let, me, let me move along here because I'm not where, where, where I want to be. So the very first issue in, in terms of our being in him is that our lives need him. The second thing very quickly is that he is our head. It actually says in verse 18, he is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the head. The significant part of your anatomy is your head. Why? Because so many other things come as a result of what's going on in your head. Sometimes it's a good thing what's going on in your head. Sometimes it's not such a good thing that's going on in your head. But basically, the things that happen come as a result of what's happening in our head. Most of our anatomy, electric, electrical impulses, I guess, are all part of a, a, a system that starts, okay? All of your, well, of your five senses, four of them, where are they located? Eyes, ears, nose, mouth. Okay? You interpret your data. You're able to really to be aware, cognizant of the world around you because of what's going on in your head. So you really give the place of, of honor and preeminence to your head. You have, as a matter of fact, you have a big bone in your head. <laughs> Oh, I could have fun with that. Let me not. But it protects it. Why? Because so much of what happens, happens here. So the place of of the head is a place of honor. It's the place to be protected. Initiatives come from that. Lord, you take the initiatives and set direction. I won't do anything on my own initiative. Why? Because you're the head. You are the head. Now this is all positional here. So let me just go down, 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 down the list of things. I won't open these up or unpack them because I want to, I want to finish well here. Preferences, objections, opinions are irrelevant. It's what's coming from the head. So how do I ascertain that? How do I apprehend that? Again, pray, seek his face. The one that you don't spend time with, you really won't know. If you will invest your time with him, seeking God, praying, fasting, all of those are means of pressing into God. Why? Because you're the head, and I can't do anything without that. I need to know. He gets first place. He must be the first consideration that you've got. What does he desire? What is his will? What pleases him? When you are facing decisions, those need to be the three questions. What does he desire? What is his will? What is it that pleases him? 
And if you're going to ask those questions, then it's incumbent for you to know what he desires. You need to know what his will is. And the scriptures actually tell you that. And you need to know what pleases him. Now, let me say this. Only intimacy with him can yield that kind of information. You can't be casual with him. It's got to be a matter of of intimacy. Just as we're positioned rightly with him, we're also positioned rightly with one another. I don't just simply have a head. I've got other members of my body. So where in the body are you and am I? Let me tell you, that is not, placement in the body is not a matter of an address. But it's a matter of four considerations to know your position. Who's over me? Who's under me? Who's on my right? Who's on my left? Who are those who have authority? Who are those over whom I have authority? And who are my peers? And those, I want to suggest to you, are very specific and clear as far as God is concerned. He knows how to give you your relationships. And you need to acknowledge those and deal with those. Why? There are 59 one another's in the Bible. Those 50 in the New Testament, those 59 one another's all govern and give guidelines to how we are to relate. And they're very specific. What they speak to us, this is how we live together. Why is that important? Because in the kingdom, in the purposes of God, New Song Church, it's not only about liturgy, it's about life. What happens here encourages What's going on out there? If all you've got is here, you're missing a big piece of what is necessary because you have very clear and specific relationships to work out outside of here. The body works because there is this coordination. It's not just about a congregation. It's about a community. If you look in Acts 2, that was a community of folks. They were house to house. They were, they were sharing their resources with one another. They had a corporate life. New Song Church, you have a corporate life that God has called you to. You've got a shepherd who is, who is stepping into place, and that gets filled out as you. It's not just on him. It's on you to cooperate with him, with the leadership, and to say, God, Make us to be collectively the people that you've called us to be, not just in terms of how we worship. Do you realize you can have great worship here? That's not going to change the world. What will change the world is what you do collectively outside of this place as you start to reach others. That will make all the difference. That will make all of the difference for you. And so um, it's it's... It's the matter that there is this corporate life. Now, that being said, let me transition finally to this this notion of the last where. And that one has to do with location. What is the thing about real estate and sales? What do they say? Location, location, location. Well, for God, there's also location. Let me read to you Acts 17, verses 26 through 28. It says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. (laughs) Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now listen to this. Having determined their appointed times and 
the boundaries of their habitation. What's that mean? It has to do with place. The boundaries of your habitation. Where do you live? We used to say, hey man, where you stay? But that is, it's, it's, it's not just a, a, the spiritual thing. It's where do you stay? Where do you live? Where is your house? Where is your job? Where do you hang out? All of those are places God having determined that. It's unfortunate that many of us over the years never considered, God, you may have a, a, a will in terms of the neighborhood that my house is in because you have a purpose for me to be established over here. Most of us don't even give those considerations. But God redeems all things. And so He, so we can make those adjustments. But it is a matter of where. It's the boundaries. You occupy a certain place on your job. Boundaries. He has established boundaries. Why? So that you can accomplish the thing that pleases Him in that. So going to work tomorrow morning is more than just a matter of punching a clock. It's to say, Father, what pleases you today in this place where I am? It's the place. It's the place. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remotest parts of the earth four places he says to the father i do not i ask that i do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one father don't take them out of the places that they're in just protect them while they're there then he goes on to say three verses later as you sent me into the world i have also sent them where into the world do you realize god is sending you into the world very specific places to do very specific things let me give you six important questions having to do with relationships and locations, that that your ability to please God in his ultimate purposes really is aided by answering these six questions. I'll just I won't unpack them. I'll just you just need to answer them. First of all, who is Jesus? Second question, who am I? Third question, who is my Barnabas? Do you know what Barnabas' name means? Son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas actually did. He encouraged. Who is my Barnabas? Fourth question, who is my Timothy? Who's the one that I encourage and strengthen? Fifth question, where is my Antioch? For Paul, Antioch was his home. That was his church. Six, where is my Macedonia? Where is the place, God, that you've you've selected for me to share? I suggest that your Macedonias, in many cases, are the places that you find yourself going. Ministry isn't just simply about what you do here. It's about what you do out there, the other 166 hours. Okay, finally, why, what is this ultimately about? It's about the Father's good pleasure. What is it that pleases the Father? Verse 19 in Colossians 3. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Chapter before, chapter 2, for all, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity 
dwells in bodily form. What God wants to do is to manifest all of who he is, his fullness. That's what gives him pleasure. I want to to manifest to all of creation, this is who I am, and to reconcile all things to himself. Why is that important? Because what got broken when man sinned wasn't just human nature. It says creation suffered as a result of that. Do you realize that? And so fixing this thing not only manifests God in his fullness, but it reconciles now all things back to him. It makes it what he intended from the very beginning. And so uh, in, in terms of his fullness, initially what does it say? For in him, Jesus, the fullness of deity, dwells in bodily form. When you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. Ephesians 1, 23 and 24 says, And he put all things in subjection under his Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the church, which is his body, to the church, which is his body, listen to what it says, the fullness of him who fills all things. The church is the fullness of him who fills all things. I tell you, Beloved, you need to understand that the vision that God has for you is to be a part of that fullness that fills all things. You all are going to fill all kinds of places tomorrow and the next five or six days. And so you represent not individually, but as you connect with and are positionally related to one another and other Christians, you start to manifest who he is. It says, body is fitted in hell by that which every joint supplies. Joints are relationships according to the proper working of each individual part. Your part joined with this part. When they work together, they manifest. And so it's that matter of fullness. It is fullness. Um, Ephesians 3, I'll just make reference because I, I, I want to wrap this up. It says, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Ephesians 4, it says, when it talks about the fivefold ministries and equipping of the saints, there are four things that it says, this is going to happen until. We all attain to the unity of the faith, number one. Knowledge of the Son of God, number two. A mature man, number three. But number four, it says, until we attain to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The Father says, it is my fullness that I'm putting in bodily form in Christ. Jesus says, the church now is my fullness. So you've got a really big and glorious calling to manifest along with the other saints the fullness of God. And you can't do it in isolation as an individual. And you can't do it outside of those connections and those positions that God has. This is your journey. It's an amazing journey. It's a marvelous journey that God has called you to. You get to manifest his fullness. You get to put God on display in every place until ultimately he reconciles all things in heaven and on earth. Finally, Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he which he purposed in him, Jesus, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. 
on your job ultimately. Now, that may not all happen before the Lord returns, but you are on that trajectory. It's the summing up of all things. You are there to bring greater expression of the manifold presence of God where you work. Jesus is the fullness of the Father. We are the fullness of Christ. You are the fullness of Christ. The will of God is and the, is his fullness displayed in all the earth through the community of the redeemed, connected, loving him and one another, and serving him in every place. That's the Father's good pleasure for you. It's an amazing call. It's an amazing opportunity that you have. Let me pray for you. And then, yeah, just let me pray. Lord, I thank you. You are such a glorious God. You're such an amazing God that you would take broken, flawed, sinful people, redeem, connect, restore, reconcile us not only with you but with one another. Give us a heart, Lord, that desires to please you. Lord, we know that we love you because you first loved us. That the the only response to your love is that we love you. Father, I pray for, for this church, giving thanks for you, that, Lord, there has been resident in the hearts of these men and women just a desire to please you. Lord, I know that didn't come from them. It came from you. And so, Lord, thank you that you have been at work in them, both willing and working for your good pleasure. Lord, may they, may they, collectively, corporately connect with one another and jointly may they hold fast to you who are the head so that they become the body that has been given that you can manifest and work your way through so that then you can be honored through that which they do. Lord, may they be like Jesus that their desire is to always do the things that are pleasing to you. Father, I pray not only that that would happen in this place, but Lord, that they may in all of the places that you have ordained that their feet should trod, that in all of those places, they might become an accurate representation in connection with others to bring about your will and your purposes. Lord, I pray that in this next season for this marvelous community of people, that they might explore the depths of God in and with one another and see the marvels of your work through them in such a way that men might see their good works and glorify you who are in heaven. Lord, would you do that, please? Lord, I pray for their leaders that you would give them wisdom and sensitivity to care for, to, to nurture, and, and, and Lord, to encourage this marvelous group yes, yes. that they might become a jewel in your hand and significant in your purposes. Father, I commend them to you, to your fatherhood, to your care, and for your glory, that you might be pleased in all that they do. In Jesus' name. Thank you, O God. Amen.